back to another episode of the Sports Dorks Podcast with the Daily Emerald Sports Desk. I'm Brady Ruth here with Nina Grace Montez, Owen Murray, Joseph Krasnowski, and Lily Crane. Tonight, we're talking Oregon football. Oregon about to play in the Pac-12 championship game in the final Pac-12 championship game with a ticket to this college football playoff on the line and probably guaranteed for the winner. Um, before we get into football, real quick, wanted to mention earlier today it was announced that Oregon volleyball is a number two seed in the NCAA tournament, just the second time that Oregon has been a two seed in program history. The first was in 2012. Nina's been doing some tremendous coverage for volleyball this year, and we're going to have a lot more volleyball content coming as this incredible season rolls on. But tonight, we're talking football. Now, before we get into previewing what's probably going to be one of the better games in college football this season, we wanted to talk about what just happened. Oregon dismantled Oregon State 31-7 in the last game of the rivalry series, last game of the regular season, and last game between Oregon and Oregon State for a while. Um, Lily and Nina were both there covering it, and we just wanted to talk a little bit about what was that experience like to cover such a big game like that with so much on the line for Oregon. Yeah, I told Nina before the game that, I mean, I've lived in uh, Oregon my, my whole life, and this is my first time even being at um, the, the rivalry game in person. So, I mean, that was a cool experience in general for it being uh, this kind of big matchup because, yeah, I don't remember both teams being as highly ranked as they um, were heading into this matchup. So, uh, definitely hyped up. And then I was, I mean, one of my biggest takeaways probably wasn't even the game itself, but the attendance. I mean, this game is was being played a day after thanks, the Thanksgiving holiday, and it was the fourth highest attendance um, at Austin Stadium. Just the crowd was packed. There was a good amount of Oregon State fans, too, uh, and everyone just showed out um, for this for the last edition of this rivalry and I guess in this form being in the same conference. Yeah, I'm glad I got to cover at least one football game before I graduate and I'm glad it was this one. Um, it was a fun one to be around. I've worked behind the scenes with the football team before but never in this aspect to see like what goes into it with the media coverage and there's a lot of different aspects that I don't think fans really realize goes into it like the live tweeting, the blog updates, the Instagram, like all that little things that fans are just they look for and they watch for 10, 15 seconds before they wait for the next update. Um, so it was really cool seeing all those pieces come together. And I also weirdly have never watched a football game from that angle before so high up. So it was cool being able to see everything happen at once. It really like metaphorically and actually was a different perspective, which was cool. What is the process of covering a football game at Austin Stadium? I mean, I'm sure it's different for everybody. Every journalist has its own routine. But when we got there, we went in, we sat, got, got a feel for everything because I've never been up in the Autzen press box before. So we were kind of just checking things out, make, making lay of the land, basically. And then once we kind of settled in, I just kind of went and got everything ready. I got the blog updates ready, logged into Twitter, got all that stuff ready, um, and then just went through the game notes and prepared for anything that could possibly happen. Lily, how was it for you? Yeah, I think it was pretty similar. I logged into the Instagram, did my little pregame uh, post on there, and then, yeah, just looked through uh, the pregame notes and, yeah, just wrote down all of the important kind of stats and, uh, I guess, moments kind of heading into the matchup. And, yeah, just kind of prepared for the actual game to start. Yeah, we were pretty in a we were in a good situation because after Arizona State with all those records breaking, there were opportunities for more notable things to happen. So it was just like 
making a running list of things to keep your eye out because at any moment, you know, like something could be broken, a new record could be set. So it was really cool, but it was just a lot of preparation to make sure you covered all your bases going into it. And it was quite a good game to be covering bases for. I mean, Autzen Stadium was rocking. The crowd wasn't at the whole game. Oregon State could just really never get anything going, despite its band's best efforts playing during coming home and trying to play during Shao. <laughs> just really not a very classy moment from Oregon State in what was supposed to be this like respected rivalry. Owen, you were there in the band too. How how was that energy? Was there excitement in the band knowing that not only the football team could clinch a ticket to Vegas, but the band could clinch one too? Absolutely. Everybody in the band is psyched to go to Vegas. You know, there's really a kind of excitement between the team there. Before the season, Dan Lanning came and talked to the band, actually, and he said that he was, you know, he's very thankful for the band to be there. And it's really been a great experience to be there all season. You feel a real connection with the team. And, you know, just being there kind of right next to the student section, you feed off that energy. It's it's a reciprocal relationship. And it, it was just, it was the best time, man. It, it was fun to hear. I was sitting with my parents directly next to the Oregon State band, um, but being able to hear the Oregon band kind of battle with the Oregon State band and bring that energy um, was pretty exciting. And it's an energy that the Oregon band needs to bring to Vegas because Oregon going to the final Pac-12 championship, um, a rematch with the Washington Huskies, the only team that's bested Oregon this year. But when you look at some of the common opponents that Oregon and Washington have played, Oregon's dominated them. Arizona State, Utah, Washington State, Stanford, much closer games when Washington played them than when Oregon played them because Oregon continues to have just dominating performance after dominating performance. It's something that I've, I've talked with, with some of you about that like the bulk of this season is very exciting and what Oregon can accomplish is very exciting and watching the Oregon offense is very exciting. But week by week, the games have been kind of boring. It's been a lot of blowouts. It's been a lot of uncompetitive matchups for Oregon and Pac-12 teams, but this one could be, should be, the most exciting game so far this year. How does Oregon match up against Washington for the second time? Well, I was thinking that too. It's like, when was the last time Oregon played a competitive game? Is that loss versus Washington, Texas Tech in week two? But I feel like Oregon's really had its way with most of the game, in most of the games that they've played, and it's, everything points to Friday in Las Vegas. It's just going to be a great game. Two teams, Oregon coming in, definitely playing at the top of its game. Washington stumbling a little bit of late, but it'll be great to see them battle out for the second time this year. But at the same time, I think that's a good sign because in football, you only have 12, 13 games really to have wiggle room to like mess with those errors. So the fact that they're just like dismantling every team that they're facing while Washington is start, like almost lost their game against Washington State. And like Brady mentioned, you're having those closer margins. It's just a good sign because you can't you can't afford any losses because you don't have that time. Like there's only so many games. And this and this game is being played at a neutral site, um, whereas the the last matchup between the two was in Seattle. That'll also be interesting since, yeah, it's it's kind of evenly matched there. But also, I think which is pretty notable is uh, since I th they started having Pac-12 championship games in 2011, this is the lowest seeded matchup that there's ever been. Previously, it was a uh, it was in 2014, which was the year that Oregon made it to the college football playoffs. And Oregon, I think, was three that year. I think they were playing Arizona, which was number eight. And, and yeah, so, yeah, like you said, whoever wins 
likely has a spot in the college football playoffs. Yeah, Lily's got a piece coming out this week about kind of the history of the Pac-12 championship game, which teams have succeeded, which teams haven't. I believe Oregon, regardless, is going to finish with the most Pac-12 championships in the conference. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Win or lose. Um, but Joe mentioned the, that the team hasn't really played a close game since Washington, and that that's a concern for me is we haven't seen what happens when Oregon comes out flat. If Oregon comes out flat, kind of has to play from behind, that's not something that the Ducks have really been all that familiar with this year. How concerned are we going to be if Oregon kind of after that first quarter in Vegas is maybe down 10-7, doesn't jump out to that early lead? This team doesn't have familiarity with playing behind. Is that going to be a problem? Yeah, Oregon trailed by like for like a quarter at home. They were down, they were losing for a quarter at home, and that was just shocking to me. It'll be interesting to see if they don't have a hot start for the first time all year to see how that team responds and how the offense, if they aren't able to get points on the board in that first possession, how they'll respond. I'm not too worried about it because I read the other day that within the first, I think it's called the crucial eight minutes, which I think is the first four minutes of the first quarter and the first four minutes of the third quarter, Oregon has led. Oregon has like the best point differential in college football right now. And I don't think that's really going to switch much just for this one game because like Lily said, it's in a neutral site. They don't have to worry about being in the environment that Seattle had. So I don't really see anything really switching up within a week. The other thing that Oregon has demonstrated is the ability to score fast. I mean, we saw that against Oregon State. There was that kind of there was that moment after Camden Lewis missed the field goal and Oregon State went down and scored that there was kind of this feeling of, uh-oh, this is how Oregon State crawls back into this game is they score, get the ball back to start the second half, go down, score again. All of a sudden, we're sitting here tied. But Oregon gets the ball with 55 seconds and in like five plays found the end zone, found points. And it was a a theme that was common in the USC game as well with two really fast touchdown drives early in the game. Even if Oregon kind of comes out flat, if it still has this ability to score these quick, fast touchdowns, then no mountain seems too high for this offense to overcome. And I think that just shows the dominance of Bo Nix, though, because he's the one obviously controlling the whole thing. And whether it's as small as like a QB keeper that he runs for six yards or it is like that 41-yard touchdown pass he had to Troy Franklin over the game, like I think he really does control the entire game, and he's just up on the uprise right now. So I don't really see that changing much. A lot of Heisman talk about Bo Nix and another guy that he's kind of being compared to is LSU's Jaden Daniels. And there's a case to be made for Jaden Daniels for sure. But I want to know from you guys, how much do you think it matters that Bo Nix is playing in a conference championship game and Jaden Daniels isn't? Is that a stat that matters? I think absolutely. I think the fact that both Jaden Daniels and Marvin Harrison Jr., who's been touted as another guy who's competing for this award, they don't have the opportunity to Number one, boost their stats, but also they have this stage. It's one of five games in the nation that they can be like, hey, this is my case. I can do it under pressure. I can do it on the biggest stage, and I can do it when the college football playoff is on the line. Those are the three things that they're looking for in a Heisman moment, and if Bo Nix or Michael Penix can do it, they can do it there. I think that's their case for the Heisman. Yeah, and being able to do it for a winning team. Oregon's played like one of the best teams in the nation, and Bo's been at the head head of that. Yeah, Des Bryant, of all people, has been really vocal on, on Twitter this week about how excited he is about Oregon football. I mean, according to Des, Bo's the Heisman and Oregon's a national champion. So Des Bryant, Des big knows. Ducks guy. Des knows ball. Um, <laughs> um, there were a couple a couple results this weekend that also went Oregon's way as far as the, as far as the college football playoff goes. Um Florida State didn't look great against Florida, but still pulled out a win, so that's not necessarily one. But Louisville got its second loss, so Louisville no longer matters. Ohio State with Marvin Harrison Jr., you mentioned, lost. 
Ohio State's still a one-loss team, but doesn't get that opportunity to play in a conference championship game. And Alabama, despite winning at Auburn, looked pretty flat. Now things could still get tricky for the Ducks if Alabama finds a way to beat Georgia in the SEC championship, and both those teams finish with one loss. But even if that were to happen, where do you think Oregon sits in the one-loss teams? I mean, number one, I don't think that... There, there is something important that happened in that FSU game, which is that Tate Rodemaker got hit hard. Um, he came out of the game, and he went back in, but like, there's a strong chance that he doesn't play in the conference championship. That, and that could be a huge thing. Louisville did not look good, but if FSU are on their third-string quarterback, I mean, what does that do to them? I agree. It's going to hurt, but I have to imagine. I, I've said it for years, and I stand by it. Any undefeated Power 5 team should be a playoff team. I think it would be unjust to kick Florida State out after winning every game that it's played this year. So I think as far as I, as far as it goes, I think Florida State controls its own destiny. Georgia absolutely does. Michigan absolutely does. Washington's in with a win. Is Oregon for sure in with a win? I think if you just look at the way that Oregon's been playing of late, the eye test matters a lot. And no one has an article come out that the eye the eye test really matters a lot to just how I feel like the college football ranking committee sees these games. Oregon's dominated in almost all of their games, and if, I feel like if they're able to take a win in Vegas from Washington, they should be able to make the playoff. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen that you know that matters to them, right? They've been above Texas, who's been above Alabama. They care about kind of teams depending on how they look. Yeah, and a big challenge, it's going to be Washington. Washington could finish with one loss. Oregon could finish with one loss with a win, but you have to imagine that Oregon leaves Washington with a win because as much as how many times you lose, it also matters when you lose, which is, I think, why we saw Ohio State fall so greatly after a loss to Michigan. But one big test with Washington is going to be how to cover Romeo Dunze. How much emphasis is going to be on covering him in this offensive clash in Vegas? Oh, it's going to be, like, the most important battle of the game. Whatever corner... Oregon and Dan Lang decides to put on Adunza, it's going to be the battle to watch in this game. It, Troy Frank and I have faith that, you know, if, if we're not getting the ball to him, if, if Oregon isn't getting the ball to him, there can be other players where that ball goes. But Roma Dunze is Michael Penix's number one target without a doubt. And if he's not getting that connection, Washington falls flat. Yeah, I'm interested to see how Oregon adjusts. I mean, this will be their second time getting this Washington team. It'll be interesting to see what different... I mean, Rome scored a bunch against Oregon the first time. So it'll be interesting to see how Oregon adjusts to just such a talented player. And also, they've had the chance now. We They played Washington kind of in partway through the season. They didn't really see them struggle a ton. Now they've seen them struggle. Dan Landing knows what makes Washington hurt. I think that's a huge advantage. A couple years ago, Oregon played in the Pac-12 championship against Utah, a team that had already crushed Oregon once, and Utah crushed them again. But a big part of that game was I was there, and that crowd was 70% red. There was a lot of Utah there. Of course, Utah closer to Las Vegas than Eugene is, but when you look at Eugene, Seattle, they're both pretty far destinations. Got to think that the crowd in this one is going to be a little more regulated, a little more 50-50. Personally, I hope that they that they block off the sections in a certain way where there's Oregon on one side, Washington on the other. I always think that that's a great look and a lot of fun. But crowd shouldn't be a factor in this game because I'm anticipating it's going to be fairly even. But as we kind of close out here, I want everyone's score predictions. Tell me tell me what, what you think, who you think is going to win, why maybe an X factor, and who's punching that ticket to the college football playoff, and who's taking home the final Pac-12 championship? I think... Oregon's going to win this game. 
I still th- I as in terms of score, I don't know. I'll say I'd probably say low 30s for Oregon. I don't think it will be quite as close as the previous matchup between the two, but I still think it'll probably be separated by about a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns. I think Oregon can pull this one out, but I think the battle to watch is the secondary receivers. So I think even if Adunze and Troy Flynn can get locked down, you got to look at the tight ends. You got to look at guys like Tez Johnson. You got to look at guys like Jalen Polk. I think that their performances will define this game and how much Michael Penix and Bo Nix can find them with their balls, with their reads. And so I think Oregon takes it. I think they'll cover the spread, which is, I think, nine. Nine and a half. Nine and a half as we record. I think they can do it. I think it'll matter. Um, Field goals, taking them when you're going to take them and finding those secondary receivers. Yeah, I I see Oregon pulling it out. I really think momentum is a big factor, and that's really what we're seeing right now. Um, I don't have an exact score prediction because we both are looking at really solid offense and defenses, but I do see Oregon pulling it out by two touchdowns. While that is on the lower side for Oregon this season against its conference opponents, I again, like I, I do see him being able to pull out if Dan Lanning is willing to play safe, which I think he is. Yeah, I'd have to. I think Oregon thirty-eight, Washington thirty, and I, for the X factor, I'd have to get Dan Lanning. We'll see if he's learned from what happened last time these two teams played. Yeah, I think that there's two really notable players for Oregon in this game that kind of aren't getting talked a lot about a lot. I think the first one is Camden Lewis. Um, he's struggled with some clutch kicks and some clutch kicks from fairly short range. And if he's making kicks, Oregon's offense is even that more dangerous. If he's not making kicks then maybe that leads to some more of those Dan Lanning fourth down go for it calls. So Camden Lewis is going to have a big game. And also, the Oregon offense is just a step better when tight ends matter. So I think the impact that Terrence Ferguson has on this game is going to be a huge, huge factor in Oregon's ability to win it. That being said, I think Camden Lewis has, has, has a good game. I think Oregon wins this one 34-28. I think he he knocks a couple couple of field goals and there's a good amount of touchdowns on both sides. I think it's an exciting one. I think it's an enter- entertaining one, and I think Oregon punches its way into the college football playoff, the last four team playoff. Um, Owen will be there with the band. I'll be there in the press box providing as much coverage as I possibly can, and we're really really looking forward to it. A lot of exciting times for Oregon football, and we're excited to continue to bring you content from the Sports Dorks podcast. I'm Brady. Thanks for tuning in.